This message entitled, A Pound of Ointment, was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on February 26, 2023, by the Rev. Roy D. Warren, Jr. The scripture reference is John 12, 1-11. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was raised, where, where Lazarus was, which had been raised from the dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was the thief and had the bag, and bare what, that which was put therein. Then Jesus said, let her alone, against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Last week, you'll remember that we were uh, talking somewhat about uh, persistence um, and perseverance, two similar words. And I want to come back to that for just a second because really it's all related. And, uh, and really, the season of Lent is a picture of all of that. And that's why it was good that we had that. Last week, as we were leaving or coming to the conclusion of Epiphany, which is pointing the way to Lent, pointing the way to the cross and to Easter. Praise God. The old man the newspaper reporter was interviewing had just turned 104. How did you do it? The reporter asked, well, I think I ate the right food. I think I got plenty of sleep each night. I didn't fool around and never indulged in alcohol, smokes, or chewing tobacco. And the reporter said, well, I had an uncle like that, the reporter replied, but he, but he died at 55. Can you explain that? Sure, the old man replied. He just didn't keep it up long enough. Okay, that was funnier than that. Oh, yes, it was. That was a real knee slapper. <laughs> All right. Well, you get the idea. Got to keep going. It's all the way to the end. You don't just get halfway and go, well, I did pretty good. You know? No, it's all the way. Praise God. And I, I think maybe that is the key, this idea of 
persistence, okay? To keep going, to not quitting. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and I mean just. And this Jesus would end up being um, celebrated, I guess you could say. They were having a meal together at, in Bethany at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house. Now, this is immediately afterwards, okay? You'll see in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover. So we're getting close. The cross is right around the bend, okay? Right around the bend where Lazarus was, which had been dead. So he was back home now. He's out of the tomb. And this just happened. This just happened. Where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And I think in a way it was sort of a celebratory thing, a celebration, if you will. Not a birthday party, perhaps, but it, to be thankful, to, to give the glory to God. You know, to go ahead and have this dinner. But the Bible says, and Martha served... I'm not sure why that's in there. Uh, there is another place where Martha served and Mary got a little bothered at that. Remember? You know, and she, Mary even came to Jesus and said, will you tell her to get you know, up and get moving and help me serve and so forth? And, and, uh, and she said, Martha, you know, Mary has chosen the better thing. Mary has chosen to listen to what I have to say. And serving's okay. And stuff has to get done. That's true, okay? But don't go putting her down. All right. Well, anyway, and that's evidently not at this time. That's at a previous time. But it does say Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Okay. It, by the way, it's back in Luke chapter 10, 10, verse 38, where it talks about Martha serving and her getting kind of bent out of shape about it because Mary wasn't. Anyway, uh, so they're having this dinner. And this isn't just, you know... Dinner. This is, this was to thank God for what's going on. Here we got Lazarus back with us. Here we got him at the at the other head of the table. We got Jesus at one head of the table, but we got Lazarus at the other head. They're they're thankful. They're they're celebrating life. Uh, Lazarus is now alive. Praise the Lord. And I, we need to see that that's what's really going on. Uh, there's a. I'll take you to the end of the story right after the end of the story, so you can see how this fits together. It says here, down at the end, in verse 10 and 11, it says, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. The religious leaders were not in a very celebration-oriented mood, you know, because it turns out that because Lazarus was raised from the dead, that that was drawing people away from following, following the religious leaders and people were sort of following after Jesus now and they were bugged. They didn't like that. So what their first thought is, let's kill him. <laughs> now this guy, Lazarus, was just sick. He was just sicker than anything. And he died. All right? And they buried him. And he's been in the tomb for four days. And Martha says, he's going to stink. Don't open the thing up. He's going to stink. Yeah, well, you, you're not listening to what I'm saying, 
uh, Martha, Jesus says. And so he rolls, has them roll away the stone and he does get raised from the dead and he does come out so everybody can see him and so forth, okay? But then it says in verse 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. So there he is at this dinner and they're having a good meal and, and you know, enjoying uh, life itself, literally life itself because, you know, because now he's alive, okay? And that sparks them to think, well, let's kill him. Now this guy was already dead. This guy was just sick, dead, buried, and now they want to kill him again. Incredible. Look at verse 11. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So they're not following the religious leaders anymore, and they're going after Jesus. That was the channel of an act. That, that's, it was due to this that they wanted to kill him. Now look at verse 12. On the next day, this is how specific this particular scripture is. On the next day, so in other words, what's taking place in their house and having this dinner and so forth was on Saturday night. You know that for a fact. It's Saturday night. Because in the next verse it says, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. That is Palm Sunday. So the day before, because this says now it's the day after, but the day before had to be that Saturday. That's how tightly packed this thing is. Okay? That's how tightly packed it is. He's, they were at this table, they were having this meal and so forth and everything that happened happened on that Saturday evening. Everybody goes to bed. The next morning, it's Palm Sunday. That's, that, you can't get any tighter than that. I hope, I hope you all see that. I think, I think it's important. You'll see why as we move along. Okay? Praise God. If you belong to Jesus Christ, and in a very real sense, I think these people saw that they did. You know, just look at the way Mary talks about Jesus when Lazarus had died. Look at the way Martha, oh, Jesus. You know, even now, if I, I know you didn't come in time to heal him. You know, they got after him for that. You didn't come in time. You know, but even now, I know whatever you ask of God, he will give you. I think both, I think Mary, I think Martha, I think Lazarus, I think all three of them saw Jesus as not just a friend, but he is Lord. I'm pretty sure that's what they're saying when they say these kinds of things. And when you belong to Jesus Christ, you are not your own. The Bible says that you have been bought and you have been paid for with a price. And that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay? All right. <clears throat> Let's just set up a scenario, if you will. Let's say you invite me to your home for lunch today, after church. Okay? You clean up the house. 
you cook a fabulous meal and you put the Bible out on the coffee table because after all, it is the pastor that's coming. I arrive, however, in a paneled truck with a crew of workers and all of us have blue jeans on. Now this is Sunday after church, okay? We get out with all the paint cans and the brushes and we start painting your house a whole rainbow of colors whether you like it or not. I also decide that a wall or two needs to be knocked down so we proceeded on that front too. Whether you like it or not. And your living room furniture we have judged that it needs to be rearranged. And so we do. And then I ask you for the menu, what are we having for lunch? And when you say we're having spaghetti, I suggest we have pizza instead. Whether you like it or not. Finally, you say to me, what do you think you are doing And the other way of putting that would be, who do you think you are? <laughs> okay. I only invited you for lunch. We didn't talk about any of this other stuff. You're acting like this is your house and not mine. Okay. Well, it simply illustrates, what if, what if you have been to Calvary and you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior you need to start recognizing that the house that is your body, not a physical being with walls, okay, but you, your body, that house, your house, your tent, as the scripture puts it, that is your body does not belong to you anymore. It's not your house. It belongs to Jesus because he paid for it. He bought it. He suffered and died. To give you new life. It's not your house anymore. It's God's house. His Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And he is well within his rights. When he says things like. You know. The ego has to go. <laughs> or. Uh, those words that you're speaking. Don't quite match what you say. You believe. You need to make some changes. Jesus has paid the price for you and he's paid the price for me. And in that, we are not our own. I think we still hold on to the idea that we're in control. <laughs> and it's God that's in control. Now, don't worry, I'm not gonna show up and knock down walls and, and, and paint and all that, okay? But we better have pizza. That's a joke. All right, praise God. Evidently, Judas Iscariot did not think that this was a good use for all the money that it would cost to get this ointment. Look at verse 3 and following. Yeah, then took Mary a pound of ointment, spikenard, it's called here, very costly, by the way, it's myrrh. Spikenard is myrrh. 
very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. Now, you know what myrrh is. Myrrh is an ointment that was used to bury people. Okay? And so she took that ointment and she anointed. Anointed means to oil something. (laughs) You know, the priest would come along and put oil on this or that. Or to, to ordain the priest, oil would be put on his head. Remember, they took oil and they ran it down Aaron's head and it ran down his beard and so forth. That's anointing. That's what that is. It has to do with oiling something. Okay, all right. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And I want you to think about that for a minute. How that should have changed things. <laughs> okay, how, how that should have, and really, in a sense, was intended to. Because anywhere that Jesus went, everybody would know what had happened. Right? He comes to the, uh, let's just say he comes to the, uh, uh, to the garden of Gethsemane. And the other disciples are there. And of course, eventually what happens is a whole crowd of the enemy comes and they're going to capture him, including the chief priests and all the, you know, temple soldiers and so forth and so on. And they all come and they gather around Jesus. And Judas goes ahead and gives him a peck on the cheek. And that was the sign because it was going to be a tumultuous time and you might get the wrong guy. So I'll kiss on the cheek the guy that you're supposed to capture. So they all kind of gather around Jesus and they start sniffing this spikenard is powerful stuff it doesn't just go away after some time and it doesn't just wash off very easily okay so my guess would be that Jesus smells of myrrh all the way through to the end I think these people gathering around to capture him can smell that. And they probably say to themselves, if not, if not each other, what is this? What's going on? Who is this guy? See what it did? It's opening it up to reconsider, to think, what are we doing here? What's this guy here for? What are we doing to him? Okay? Think about it. All the way through, he stands there before... Uh, Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate comes up to him and says who are you you know he can smell it too and he's thinking what is going on here what is this all about what in the world am I doing having you here at the judgment seat and same thing with what's his name the other judge um, Herod, you know, he gets next to Herod and, and Herod's soldiers go ahead and put that robe on him and the crown and all the, you know, so forth. And, and those soldiers saw, what's going on? What about at the cross? What about the centurion? What about the other soldiers that have to actually get him on the cross? They throw him down onto the cross, onto the ground, and they nail down his wrists, and they nail down his feet, and they go, what is this? What's happening? And, and part of the question of what's happening is, 
What am I doing? You know, Jesus, you know, when the other people, and by the way, it was not just Judas. It was another gospel says it was all the disciples. They all chimed in and they didn't think this was a good use of money to use this expensive ointment on Jesus like this. And that's when Jesus told him, she is anointing me for my burial. So this stuff is going to last. Okay? She's anointing me. Not that they wouldn't do it when he really dies. Because they did. You know? They had a, they lugged all this stuff to the tomb. And they were, they were planning on anointing him. They did some of it before they left the tomb. But they were going to really do it up when they came back. And when they came up, when they came back, he wasn't there. But they were ready for it. Probably the tomb itself smelled like it. What in the world is going on here? What, what are we doing here? I mean, these soldiers and the centurion, they've got to be wondering. If you remember, it was the centurion himself that when Jesus was on the cross and when he died, he said, surely this had to be a righteous man. And I think the, the old factory here, you know, <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie Pig, you know, <laughs> about the, the pig that talks and goes around and so forth. He's got these old factory, you know, he can smell things. <laughs> you know, that's my dog. My dog's all about that. My dog doesn't know how to take a walk. I'm telling you, you know, you, know, you can get him going by saying, you want to go for a walk? But he doesn't even know what a walk is. Because you take him out there, and he's like, sniff, 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 you know. He's not taking a walk. He's rooting with his nose, and sometimes he gets it with his paws and so forth. He's smelling everything. He's smelling everything. There's no walking involved. It's just, you know, and, he, and he, you say something about going out to the cemetery, he can't wait to get out there. Oh, he starts crying in the backseat. You know, he's got to get out there. But it's not to go for a walk because, and even though you say the word walk and he gets all hyped about it, he doesn't even know what a walk is because he's busy sniffing. You know? <laughs> Strange character. Strange character. Judas Iscariot did not think this was a good use of money. This 300 pence, this could have been used for the poor. This could have helped the poor. And by the way, 300 pence was the equivalent to a whole year's salary, depending on what kind of job you had. But it was your typical yearly salary. Might have been a whole lot, might have been a little less, I don't know. But it's not just a half a day's worth or anything like that. It's, it's a year's worth. But that could have helped the poor. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. You're always going to have the poor. You can help them any day of the week. But you're not always going to have me. And Mary has recognized that when she brought this spikenard out and opened it all up and poured it on me, that she is anointing me for my burial. And like I said, it's not just Judas, because a lot of people are going to go, well, Judas said, yeah, but you go to another gospel, and it says they all agreed. The other disciples were saying the same thing. Judas might have voiced it, but
but the others all agreed, this is a waste of money. We could have done much more with it. And of course, the Bible even explains right here that Judas is the treasurer, and so he's got the bag, and he's got the money, and he wanted to be able to dip his hand into that and get some of that money out of there. Well, if it goes off and pays for Spikenard, you know, then you know, he's not going to get his hands on that money. So he was, he was bu all bugged about that. Look at verses, uh, go a little further. Yeah, four to eight, yeah. Look at four to eight, okay? So you already saw that the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And really, anything around Jesus for days to come would be filled with that odor of the ointment. You couldn't get away from it. It was always there. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, and as I said, don't forget, another gospel, in fact, it's Luke, if you're curious. Luke says, and it's back in chapter 7, so it's early on, so you know it's a different time, okay? Luke says that the other disciples, they all griped about it. So maybe here in this time, when this ointment was being used, maybe Judas is the only one to mention it, but there was another time they all agreed. They all agreed. Back in Luke, I think, is where you'd find that. Anyway, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And by the way, in the New Living Version, it calls it a small fortune. We're not just talking about a couple of dollars here. The small fortune. Year's salary, actually, is what it works out to. Okay, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, because remember, this is Judas. He's looking to get the money. But because he was a thief, he was a thief. The Greek word for thief is kleptes. We get the word kleptomaniac, okay, from this. It has to do with stealing, okay, or a stealer. Now, it's not that this guy was into football. Not that kind of stealer, okay? He's, he, was, he was looking to get the money. And he had the bag, and he bare what was put therein. In other words, he carried it around so he could get into it and, uh, and get into it at about any time he wanted. So he carried the bag, he took it up, and it's all through the idea of removal. The word itself, from the Greek, it's, for, it's, it's with the idea of removal. So he's got the bag and he's got the money in it and he wants to be able to dip his hand in and remove it. And that's evidently what he was doing. Okay, stealing the money. Then said Jesus, let her alone. And I go ahead and get emphatic about that because I think that's what it was. Let her alone. Stop it, guys. You're getting after Mary and you're putting her down and you don't even know what you're talking about. Let her alone. Leave it. Go. That's what it means, to let her alone. Stop bothering her. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Glory to God. This pound of ointment was, even though it was sweet and it was aromatic is maybe the best way to put it, 
it still has the flavor of death. You know why? Because it's myrrh. And everybody knows what myrrh is used for. Did you ever think it was kind of odd that the wise men would show up not long, not too long after Jesus was born and have gold, frankincense, and myrrh? What are you thinking? Why are you giving this baby ointment for death? Well, of course, it's all prophetic. He would indeed be one that would come to the point of death and be anointed with spikenard, with this um, myrrh. So in a very real sense, it has the flavor of death because everybody knows that's what that's used for, all right? It's not flavor of death that it stinks badly. No, flavor of death in the sense that that's what it's used for. And so you were being prophetic when you give Jesus as a baby some myrrh that it could be used later. George Bernard Shaw said, there are indeed some fascinating statistics about death. You ready for this one? For example, one out of one dies. I want you to think about that for just a second. One out of one dies. Because normally people will say, well, you know, five out of ten, they died, or six out of 34 or whatever, they died. Or, you know, you have those sort of statistics that get tossed around. But the real fact of the matter is, one out of one dies since everybody goes that route, right? One out of one dies. So what happens when you die? Well, some people believe that death is simply the end of existence. They believe in something called annihilation. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold up and not mention specifics on that because it is one of the well-known cults uh, that are around in the world today that believe in that. They don't believe in a heaven, they don't believe in a hell, but, I've, but I'm, I'm not, I, I might be saying the wrong thing, so I'm not even going to say it. But there is a well-known cult that believes in something called annihilation. And there's, they're considered a Christian cult because they say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in heaven and hell. Okay? They just believe you cease to exist. You just go by way of the rotting flesh or whatever. They, they believe that death is simply the end of existence. That a human being, for example, like a flower, or a, a dog rather, or, or a person, or a plant, or a flower, that they cease to exist when the allotted days for that specimen are done. There are other people that believe that death begins a kind of new age recycling project in which human beings return to existence in another form, simply what they call, um, <laughs> it just slipped out of my mind, reincarnation. The Bible doesn't talk about that because it's not true, it's false. Okay, The Bible talks about resurrection. The Bible doesn't even talk about resuscitation, which a lot of people suggest is what would happen, is that they just simply resuscitated. No, they are raised from the dead. And Lazarus is absolute proof of that. 
And a, and a lot of people today, they think, oh, you got your Hindus and you got your Buddhists and you got your people, you know, and you hear people all the time, karma this and karma that, and, you know, and they talk about reincarnation and so forth. Listen, the people in those countries that, that supposedly believe all this stuff, they don't like it. They don't want reincarnation to be the truth because the fact is you might return as an elephant, you could return as a chrysanthemum, or anything in between. And the recycling process could occur a half million times or more. So you, you're here as a human being and you're looking forward to coming back as a better human being. Forget it. You're coming back as an ant or a, or a snail or something like that. And who knows after that? It's a, it's a crapshoot, okay? I mean, it's not, this, it's not reality, okay? They've, they've made it up. And the people that have to deal with it, they don't like it. And then the West, of course, here in the West, we got people jumping after that, loving it. They think it's a great idea, you know? Yeah, I believe in reincarnation. Yeah, I'm going to come back as this and come back. And they talk about previous lives and all that kind of stuff. Bunk. Baloney. None of it's true. None of it's true. And the people that have to deal with it in those religions, they're not happy about it. Okay, fact of the matter. And still there are others that believe in some kind of limbo-like state that follows death, you know, where you just sort of float around, and that a person remains in this in-between state until all his earthly affairs are rectified, or, or that the body dies, but the soul floats around without a package to contain it. I think people need to get serious. They need to get, they need to listen to what God says about these things. Because if anybody's going to know all about it, it's God. It's not people. The Bible says that people lie and God doesn't. So it's God that you want to ask the questions of, not other people. These earthly tents, as the Old Testament calls them, uh, in which we live, they do sag and they do where? Um, some more than others. You know what I'm saying? You get older. That's just the fact of the matter. And Paul says that in them, in these sagging and wearing out tents, these tabernacles, they're called in the Old Testament, we groan. But when the stakes are pulled up and you're going to move to another campsite, so to speak, and we leave this life, the Bible teaches that Christians go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. Jesus was talking to the, to the uh, thief on the cross. And the thief said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you will be with me today in paradise. With me in paradise, not just in limbo someplace, floating around and so forth. No, with me in paradise, you will be with me, he says. Jesus' own resurrection is our pledge, our promise that these things are true and the other things are not. Let's get serious about this stuff. So the day of death is not the last day. It's really kind of like Billy Graham said. You remember? Billy Graham said, it's really only moving day. He talked about it as his change of address. 
You know, you go to the post office when you're moving and you fill out a change of address card. That's what, about what it amounts to. Change of address. You no longer live here. You live there. Not just anywhere. Everywhere, you know, and uh, in this state or that state or as like you say, an elephant or a chrysanthemum, you know, no, 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 no. Not at all. See, there's so many lies going around in our society today, and people are just buying it. They are just gobbling it up. They think it's cool. They think it's neat or something. And I'm telling you, it's a lie right out of the pit of hell. Right out of the pit. Glory be to God. Look at verses, uh, yeah, 9, 10, and 11. Would you look at those then? This closes it up. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. Okay, they knew he was there. They knew that Jesus was there. They knew that Lazarus was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus. Also, he was a spectacle. He was a Showboat. <laughs> he was the person to come and, and uh, get, the, get his autograph. Might as well say it that way. They, they're coming to, to, to meet Lazarus, the guy who was raised from the dead. Okay? That's what they're doing. Whom he had raised from the dead. And then in verse 10 it says, But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. So... <laughs> The religious leaders were planning on killing him because he was leading people away from the Jewish thing and, and people were starting to follow Jesus. And the religious leaders didn't like that at all. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away. They were leaving the, you know, the following of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of that kind of stuff and they were believing on Jesus. They were believing on Jesus. These leaders had uh, an unbelievable amount of pride and, and this whole thing was bringing them down. And they didn't like that at all. That's why they wanted Jesus dead. But it's all, also why they wanted to kill Lazarus again. I mean, come on. The guy was just dead. Now he's alive and you're going to kill him again. I mean, how, how rude. <laughs> okay? How rude. In fact, we can all begin, I think, to feel this way, when even attacked, like we have some kind of target on us. Remember I told you about the Far Side comic, you know, where the two deer are standing there and they're talking in the woods, you know, and the one deer's got a big bullseye on, it, on his front. And by the way, it has them standing on their back feet and they're talking like people, okay? <laughs> anyway, there's another Far Side comic, let me... Let me digress for a second. There's another far side comic where you're, where you're coming past a uh, pasture and all the cows are there. And then when the car's gone, they all stand up and they're all oh, leaning against a rock or against a tree or whatever, but they're on their back feet. And they're just talking about the, the stuff of the day, you know, talking about banking or, you know, whatever. And, and then they hear a car coming again, and they all get down on, on four legs and start chewing on the grass. When the car's gone, they get up like this is what really goes on. <laughs> okay. And, the, and these two deer stand there, and the one's got a big bullseye on his chest, and the other guy says, bummer of a birthmark, Al. 
Bummer of a birthmark. Hold on a second. Let me find my paper here. Yeah, here we go. I think um, we we wonder about that and we think about that. Why was that particular joke even a joke? Because of the the you know, because we all feel in one form or another that we have a bullseye on us, that Satan's just waiting to you know zing us because we've got that bullseye. You know, we're the target, and and we do have in a sense a target on us like that. Bullseye on us. If, if you are in Christ, you are Satan's target. He wants to get at you, okay? And he's not going to stop. He's not going to stop shooting you in this life. It's only when we're with with God and with Jesus in, throughout eternity that all that ends, and we don't have to deal with Satan anymore, and so forth. But in this life, it's just always going to be there. Where does he most often take aim? Well, I think John said it pretty well, the Gospel of John. He says the lust of the flesh, that's number one. Number two, the lust of the eyes, okay? And number three, a boastful pride of life, all right? One last illustration of this related, and, I'll, uh, and we'll be done. A young man finished seminary, and he was known to be uh, quite the brilliant student. He did everything right, it seemed. He went to deliver his first sermon to his home church, actually. And looking every bit the um, excellent pastor, he ascended the Anglican-style pulpit. You know what that is, don't you? They have a, a spiral staircase that goes up, and the pastor's way up here somewhere. I don't know how that goes if you're afraid of heights. But anyway, he's got to climb this staircase and he gets all the way up there and, he, and he's ready to go. So he ascended that. He got up to the top where the pulpit is and with utter confidence he did all of this. And he's wearing a brand new suit and he's sporting a new haircut and carrying a new Bible under his arm. And as he began to speak, those in the congregation who knew him well said to each other, whispered back and forth, this man is our best. This man is the, is the brightest. He has multiple degrees. He has a great education. Just look at him. You could almost see ego oozing from every pore as he spoke with such beautiful eloquence. But suddenly, he happened to mispronounce a word. Yeah. And, and then... He mispronounced another word. And then he mispronounced yet another word. And his concentration was shattered. He lost his place, kind of like trying to figure out where my sheets are here. I mean, that's what it feels like. And so you lose your concentration. You know, where was I? You know, that kind of thing. He repeated himself, went back over something else he had already talked about, repeated himself. He was frustrated, he got embarrassed, he finished his sermon just as quickly as he possibly could, he got down the spiral staircase of the pulpit and got over to the center aisle and then out towards the back of the church. He could not hold his head up 
nor could he stop his tears. Someone turned to an old saint in the back pew as the, as the preacher passed by and asked, what happened to William? What happened to William? So much promise. And the old saint just simply said, if he had gone up like he came down, he would have come down like he went up. See, that's the pride of life pride of life and we are all pretty susceptible to it so beware of placing confidence in yourself beware of placing confidence in your own natural abilities or even the gifts with which God has blessed you because pride is at the root of every sin okay and only utter dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ can kill it and it must die. It's got to die. Until pride is killed out in you, until pride is killed out in me, we can be sure that we are fairly easy targets for Satan. Lazarus would live they wanted to kill him, but he would live. And so would Jesus for the time being. I mean, he doesn't have long. Remember, this is right before Palm Sunday. So he doesn't have long, but he's still going to live out most of the week. And the truth would persist. Uh, I, I, one last thought, and because uh, I, I said that I was ending with that illustration, but I got one last thing to say. The other day, while I was at physical therapy, I saw a uh, motivational, you know how they have those motivational pictures up all over these places, you know, and it's got a stream flowing, or it's got a waterfall, or it's got, and then it's got a little quote on there that's supposed to help you in your time of need <laughs> while you're pushing it. And shoving it, I saw this, this motivational picture on the wall. And this man was running up the stairs of a stadium. You know what I'm talking about? It was an empty stadium, and there's one set of stairs that goes all the way up like that. And he was running up these steps. And he got to the top, and he went over to the next set of stairs, and he went down. And then he went to the next set of stairs, and he went up. And he did that all the way around the stadium. Lots and lots of steps. And the title on the picture was Perseverance. But this is the quote that was on there. The difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack of will. The question I suppose for us is, are we willing to persevere? Are we willing to persist in the same way as Lazarus? I mean, he was sick and he died and buried and stink and they want to kill him again? Did he go running out of the house? Did he go hide in the woods so nobody could get him? No. He was just going to keep going just going to keep going. And I think we need to say, 
all the way to the cross. But it would be Jesus that would get on the cross, but he would call us to our own crosses, okay? So the, the point is, make sure you keep it up enough, right? You know, like the 55-year-old that, you know, died and the 104-year-old, he keeps going, and the guy said, well, you didn't go long enough. <laughs> didn't go long enough. It is an adventure, and I believe it's God's adventure. But he is so merciful and so gracious that he wants us to join him in his adventure. To go the same way with him. He wants us to join him. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is all going to lead to the cross. Here we are, first Sunday of the Lenten season, and it begins with worship. Huh? It did. It began with worship. She got out that spike nard and she poured it on Jesus and she was anointing him for his... she may not have understood that until he said so. She was there to worship Jesus. So she anointed him with this myrrh. Praise the Lord. And that's how the Lenten season begins, with worship. Amen? And it continues on, okay, in God's adventure. Praise the Lord. The very next day is Palm Sunday. Now, for us on the calendar, you know that Palm Sunday is the next week. You know, we gotta, we're going to be talking about all the things that happen between Palm Sunday and the cross. And then finally, right before the cross, we talk about Palm Sunday. Okay? And then the cross. Praise the Lord. Amen? You see what I'm saying? Okay. Praise the Lord. Let's give God the glory. Father, I want to thank you, dear God, for your mercy here today. Help us, dear God, to always, uh, always, Lord, decide that we're going to go your way, that we are indeed going to anoint you and prepare you in a very real sense for your burial. And I do pray we'd see the honor in that. We'd see the glory in that. We'd see God in that. And so we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord, today and every day. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Amen.